Thank you so much for joining us for this week's message from Real Life Community, where we talk about connecting with God and others, growing in Christ-likeness, and sharing God's life with the world. My name is Sarah Comer, and I serve each week as Connections Pastor, making sure that you know that there is a God and a community that loves you and wants to go through the seasons of life with you. The easiest way to connect with us from right where you are is by downloading our free Real Life Community app from your app store. You can also find us at reallifecommunity.org, and we would love to meet you on Facebook or Instagram. Until then, we hope this message meets you right where you are and helps you know just how deep the Father's love is for you. privilege to be able to serve here, and um, we thank you for all of the love that we always feel uh, uh, as a staff and, and doing ministry here. wanted to give you one other quick announcement. We had board elections last week, our special board election. I want to say congrats to Heather Smith, uh, who was elected, and Nate Swornslander, who got elected and then drove to Michigan. Uh, he's like, got right out of town. Uh, no, it's his brother's wedding. And uh, so Heather Smith and Nate Swornslander are going to be our new uh, board members. Thanks to everybody who uh, was willing to serve and thanks to everybody for voting in that and we're excited to to continue to move forward uh, in that way. So today, if you haven't joined us in a while, if you're just visiting, we're in the middle of a series on Revelation uh, today and so we've been going through all the the images and the details and the visions of Revelation and today we have... um, a, a very big task in front of us. Uh, we've been taking like one or two chapters at a time. Today, I'm biting off seven chapters of Revelation. Uh, and it's way too much. I'll just be honest. It's way too much. I got up here and I was like, in the first service, I was like, I got into it and I thought, I should have never done this. Uh, why, what was I thinking? But we're going to do it anyway. And here we go. Uh, Revelation, if you want to open up your Bibles, uh, we're in chapters 12 through 18 today. We're going to cover a ton of ground. And because of that and the reality that John seems to be zooming in on in this section, zooming in on and then repeating from different angles concepts he's already shared earlier in Revelation, we're not going to be going like verse by verse, detail by detail, image by image. It's a lot of the same things that he's saying over and over from a different angle, different emphasis, different kind of uh, energy behind him or whatever, Um, though it would be fun if we did. There's a ton of really fascinating, interesting stuff in there in Revelation 12 through 18. In these chapters, let me just throw you a few images we've got going on. There's a celestial woman who gives birth to a, to a baby, and there's a dragon that's waiting for this baby to be born, uh, and, and this dragon sweeps a third of the stars out of the sky and falls to the earth, and then we've got also these two super scary beasts, one out of the sea and one out of the earth, and then we've got in chapter 14, this elite army of God's warriors that are dedicated to the, to the Lord, and then in this section, we've got, even if you've never read Revelation, maybe you aren't even a Christian this morning here, you're just exploring stuff, You've probably heard of the mark of the beast, right? Uh, that's in this section here. So we'll talk about that for a minute. There's the, the battle of Armageddon. There's the great whore who rides on the beast. Like there's all these images, right? Too much to deal with in one message. And so right off the bat, 
Just in case I lose you as we're going through, let me tell you what the message is about this morning, okay? Uh, This is what I think John is trying to communicate, again, uh, in repeating kind of cycles of visions in this section of Revelation, and really in the book as a whole. There are battles being fought in the spiritual heavenly realms that spill over into and deeply affect the physical reality that we live in. Evil has been defeated decisively at the cross, but as it's being cast down out of the heavens towards its final judgment, it is doing its best to claw and drag and teeth and whip as much life as it can out and bring it down with it as it's being cast down. This is the work of the dragon, the serpent, that's being cast out of heaven as he's on his way down to the final judgment. His mission is to steal and kill and destroy as much of creation as he can get his claws on to share in the same final judgment as he is already on his way towards because he's been defeated by the cross and the resurrection. Now, Uh, That's kind of what the message is about. That's what I think John is getting after here. Spiritual battle spills over into the physical reality that the dragon, the serpent, the enemy of our souls, Satan is on his way down trying to wreck everything on his way down towards that final judgment. Now, Let's talk about a few of these images. Let's work our way through. Revelation 12, we see this scene of this heavenly battle that's going on. And, and what's going on before the heavenly battle is this, there's this woman, this celestial woman. And, and a lot of commentators will say that this woman represents maybe Eve, maybe Israel, maybe the people of God, ultimately that gives birth to and leads to the story of Jesus. And so this is this child that this woman gives birth to. It's the Messiah. And in the Messiah, the Messiah encompasses all of the people of God. He carries all of us with him. And the dragon is just waiting for this child to be born so that he can devour the child. Doesn't want this child to be born. Doesn't want anyone to be saved. And so this dragon's waiting there. And yet the child's born. And in this remarkable compression of the life of Jesus, we're told that God snatches this child up to heaven. It's like the whole story of Jesus in one sentence that Jesus lived and he died and then he was raised and was lifted up to the right hand of God. So he snatched up to heaven. This makes the dragon furious and a battle erupts in heaven. There's this fight. Michael and his angels are battling Satan and his, his forces of evil or whatever. And, and let me just read it to you in Revelation 12 verses 8 and 9. And the great dragon loses this enemy and was thrown down, loses this battle and was thrown down. That ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to earth and his angels were thrown down with him. Now at this point, I want to recognize a reality that John is using this highly symbolic imagery to get across to us, something that we've already read in other parts of the New Testament. For example, in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, Paul tells us, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. 
So John, before he gets into beasts and whores riding on beasts and all of these kinds of physical uh, expressions of reality, of of the physical realities that we wrestle with, uh, he's going to say there is a spiritual evil behind these things that we're going to talk about that's orchestrating them, that's giving them authority, a limited kind of authority, a fraudulent kind of authority, but there's a a spiritual power that works behind these things that I'm getting ready to talk to you about, and it's from the dragon who has already been defeated at the cross. He has already lost, but on his way to judgment, he's just wrecking stuff, right? This is just his, his, his mission here. So we've got the dragon, Satan, cast out of the heavens, and he's going to call out of the sea a great beast. Now, uh, if you are just joining us in the series of Revelation or you're like an elementary child, we are not expecting a beast to walk out of the sea. This isn't like Leviathan or this isn't like the Loch Ness Monster is finally going to come to pass. Uh, John, again, using symbols here, this beast represents something. Now, you can find all sorts of different commentators and people have ideas about beasts, but uh, in my sense, the best, um, the best take on what the beast represents is that the beast represents the dark power. This is the words of a, of a scholar named N.T. Wright. The, this first beast out of the sea represents the dark power of pagan empire, straddling the earth, crushing everything in its path, blaspheming other gods so that it alone and the dragon who gave it its power can be worshiped. John understood in his day, looking back at the history of creation all the way back from Genesis, like chapter three, you know, uh, recognizing that there's an evil power at work in the world And that evil power tends to give rise to empires that seek to lift themselves up, shove God off to the side, and call all glory and attention to themselves. And these empires, these pagan empires, not only do they call for worship of themselves, but they also tend to crush everything in their path in the name of bringing peace or uh, prosperity or whatever it is. And they'll tend to use things like military power and political power, and they will crowd out the glory that God uh, reserves for himself and point it towards itself. This is pagan empire. John lived in the middle of one of those, Rome. And so much of what happens in these seven chapters or so that we're going to talk about, I believe that John has in mind the general sense of pagan empire, but in his day, it's Rome. That's who is carrying the banner and the torch for the pagan empire in the world. So a lot of the judgments that he's talking about, a lot of the the expressions that he's given symbols to has to do with this expression that he's experiencing in his own age. This beast and whatever expression it takes across human history is powerful. It conquers everyone. People all over are enamored with it and worship it, even as it breeds chaos and destruction. Now, you, you read this, and you're like, man, that's kind of overwhelming. And then when you put it together with the symbols that John uses, I mean, this beast has multiple heads and multiple horns, and one of the heads has been wounded, but it came back to life and been healed and all this different kinds of stuff. It's a scary looking sight. You might think, why would anyone ever give their allegiance to something so nasty? And John would say, exactly. <laughs> but we don't often see it as a beast. 
It looks gleaming. It's got flags. It's got parades. It's got all sorts of things that look nice and, and shine and, and call for our allegiance. And, and well, well, it seems like people under that banner are prospering. Why wouldn't I give my life to that way of conquering and, and overcoming in the world, in the kingdom of this world? But John said, this thing, make no mistake, is a beast straight out of the chaos. That's one beast. There's another one. <laughs> That's not the only beast. So you've got the dark pagan empire beast, and then you've got another beast that gets called up, and both of these are animated, given life by the dragon. This other beast comes out of the earth, and this second beast, I think, again, lots of different expressions and, and ideas about what this could be, but I think the best uh, approach here, the best um, interpretation is the beast comes out of the earth is a little closer to home than the sea. It's the beast that represents the local elites, the government leaders who are trying to walk in the way of the pagan empire and give the, the like on the ground expression of the way of the empire, okay? So these are, you know, the local areas that are saying, hey, this is how we do things. Don't, don't forget Caesar. Don't forget to pay your taxes. Don't forget to, put, to carry around the Caesar's money and all these different kinds of local expressions of what it looks like to carry around the way of the empire in your everyday life. So you've got these two beasts animated by the serpent. This beast's role is to point people towards that beast and give it worship. And this beast's role is to point people towards the dragon and give it worship. Are you with me so far? <laughs> no? All right. We'll, we'll pull it all together. It's okay. In chapter 13, John tips his hand here and he gives you an idea of what he's trying to get at and trying to call his people the faithful of God towards. He says this in verses 9 and 10, whoever has hear, ears, let them hear. If anyone is to go into captivity, now, captivity is exile language, right? This reminds us of Babylon in the Old Testament, that the people of God lost their way and were taken out of their land and put into the ways and into the lands of someone else. If anyone would lose their identity and give themselves to the way of the kingdoms of this world. That's what we're saying here. If anyone is to go into captivity, into captivity they will go. He fleshes it out. If anyone is to be killed with the sword, it, with the sword they will be killed. This calls for patient endurance and faithfulness on the part of God's people. So let me paraphrase here. If you want to side with the empires of this world, you'll share in those empires' fate, ultimately. Don't fall for its promises and its shows of seemingly ultimate power. Now, uh, you've got the beast from the sea, the beast from the land that comes up. And then uh, towards the end of chapter 13 there, we hear about this mark that the beast from the land uh, wants to give to everybody. And John says, now I want everybody who's wise and discerning to recognize that there is this mark that this beast will put on you. And it is the number 660. Six, and this mark is going to go on the foreheads of the people in this way. 
This beast had this little trick, this sort of right of admission to the blessing of the empire, this seal on the forehead and on the hand representing a seal on our thoughts and on our actions. Now, I know this is one of those like questions everybody has, this number and like, is it a computer chip that's gonna go on our skin? I, re- I used to work at Target as a cashier and people would come through and make jokes about this and be like, well, I haven't got the computer chip installed yet and I forgot my wallet. So, and I'm like, I don't know what you're talking about here. Listen, symbol again. In, in ancient Rome, there were these trade guilds And if you were able, if you wanted to enter into the commerce, the economic activity, the life of the Roman Empire, uh, then very often in whatever city you were in, you would have to uh, go and worship the local gods at the temple there at at that place, offer the sacrifices. And people kept track of this kind of stuff. It was like a price of admission to get into the marketplace. Now you can imagine for the early Christians how difficult this would have been. Do I go in and and join in worship of a God I don't believe in and give sacrifices there in order to be able to have like life and carry on my economic activity and go and buy meat at the market and sell my goods that I'm making? Or, Or do I suffer and try and get on with life outside of this whole system? In fact, a couple of years after Revelation was written, Rome actually passed a law in this way that you had to go and give honor to Caesar as God and you had to make your sacrifices if you wanted to experience any kind of economic activity of the empire. So there was this mark and that was essentially the mark. It was the giving of your allegiance, your thoughts, your actions to the ways of the empire. Let me say three quick things about this mark. This mark. First off, It essentially is the anti-Shema. If you know anything about the Old Testament, you know uh, probably that in Deuteronomy, uh, the people of God were told to take the law of God, the word of God, and write it on their foreheads and write it on their hands. And so they would do things like they would write it on these little tiny scrolls and like sew it into their hats and, and, and into the tassels of their clothing. And, and that was so that they could meditate on the word of the Lord, that it would come inside of them and become a part of them. And on their hands, it was representative of not just this, the word of the Lord isn't something just to reflect on internally, but it's meant to be acted upon. Right? So it's the word of God is to be in our, in our minds, in our soul, and in our actions, in our bodies as well. And John here with his vision is saying the mark is like you've, you've taken these places that are supposed to belong to God and given them to the enemy in order to enter into the ways of the empire. So that's the first thing. The second thing, the number. The number 666, what is that? Where does that come from? Well, we've talked already in Revelation how seven represents wholeness and completion and perfection. That numbers are are symbolic in Revelation very much so. So seven pops up every time we're talking about something in the heavens or something of God or something that's good and true and beautiful because of its allegiance to God or connection with God. Uh, And then we've got this number 666, which It's basically a symbol of John saying all of the ways of the kingdom of the world empires fall ultimately short. Not just one time, but over 
and over and over again. It's like every time it takes up a running start to try and build up that tower up to the heavens, it gets just close enough and then nah, it doesn't quite make it. It can take another running start and we could just, we could carry that on, just put a little line over the six and say forever and ever and ever, the kingdoms of this world, when they try and take the spotlight, they always fall short of the glory of God. Finally, this is like way down deep into the weeds, but I hope maybe you guys are interested in this stuff. There was this practice called gematria in, uh, in John's day. And a lot of people were familiar with it. A lot of people did it. And some of the alphabets uh, at the time, some of the languages didn't, ha- didn't use Roman uh, numerals, didn't use uh, numbers. And so they would use the letters of their own alphabet and ascribe numeric values to them. So every person's name had a numeric value to it. Guess whose name has the value 666? Emperor Nero. If you write out his name, it's the value 666. Guess what else has the value 666? The word beast. So this very much is John saying, hey, little, those of you who have wisdom, those of you who know what I'm talking about, in code, he's writing a very subversive political document here saying Caesar isn't Lord, Jesus is Lord. So it's not like he's going to just come right out and say, hey, Caesar's a fraud. But for those of you who are willing to read between the lines, you know what I'm talking about here, right? That's what he's saying. That's what he's doing with this number. So to recap, we have the dragon, we have beast one and beast two, which ultimately form this unholy parody of the Trinity in John's vision. The antithesis of the triune God in every way possible. The God, the triune God who seeks to bring life and love and blessing and goodness. And then you've got the dragon and the two beasts who seek to destroy and kill all the good that God is creating and have no love and are only bent on conquering and conquest. All right, moving on, I gotta hurry. There are in the next chapter, in 14, these elite warriors of the Lamb. And I hope you guys can see yourselves as some of these. We're told in verse one, then I looked and behold on Mount Zion stood the Lamb and with him 144,000, which we've already said was a number that's like a multitude that nobody can count from every nation that, that John's already seen who had the lamb's name and his father's name written on their foreheads. So there are these people and they've been reserved and they are refusing to take the mark to have allegiance to the pagan empire to fall in line with its ways and they've got the Lord's name written on their foreheads and they are ready really ready for battle, like perpetually ready. All the symbolism from the five verses there at the beginning of 14 is, is John saying over and over again, like these are the elite warrior force, the spiritual warriors. They belong to God through and through and are ready to do battle with the dragon. And then he says in verse 12, here is a call for the endurance of the saints, those who keep the commandments of God and their faith in Jesus. So there's that phrase again, that same line. Here is a call for the endurance of the saints. As he's talking about all this chaos and destruction and beasts and dragons, he's saying, I want you to hear me. This is why I'm talking about all this stuff. I want you to endure and be patient and faithful if you are the saints. 
Now I'm going to shrink the next several chapters down to a few sentences because there is no way to fit it all in. And the message would get really repetitive uh, because he's just talking about the same reality from lots of different angles and different emphasis and, and things. But let me just shrink this down. The next several chapters go like this. The dragon and its beasts continue to do damage to the earth and to God's people. God's people continue to suffer. Uh, some of them are killed for maintaining the way of the lamb and the savior and, um, and they suffer under the conquering domination of the pagan empires. And finally though, God's judgment is ultimately poured out on these Babylon powers of the world. If we zoom out for just a minute over the book of Revelation, we find three series of judgments the first series, if you've been here for the series um, uh, uh, through Revelation, you know that the first series of judgments were the seals that Jesus pulled off of the scrolls. And every time a seal pulled off, something happened and like a quarter of the earth fell under the judgment of God somehow. God's beginning to destroy the destroyers of the world, like it says in chapter 11 of Revelation. And then that's one series of seven judgments of God, the good and perfect judgments of God. And then the second series of judgments came in the form of these angels blowing trumpets. And when an angel blew their trumpet there, it was the same good and perfect, seven angels blowing seven trumpets. And yet a third of the earth fell under some kind of judgment. So you've got an increasing intensity of judgment. You got your fraction, fractions together, right? A quarter, a third. The final series of judgments come in the form of bowls. And again, you've got these seven angels holding these seven bowls and they're pouring out the final judgments of God on the world because when these bowls are poured out, it's not a quarter, it's not a third, it's total. And we are to read here in this progression that history is moving towards the final righteous and good judgment of God over all of the forces of evil that continue to try and kick and scream and moan on their way down to judgment and bring God's good creation down with him. That will finally be judged and done with. These bowls are poured out, by the way, the Battle of Armageddon, that's the sixth bowl. Uh, and one other thing I want to say about that battle, if you're interested in it, uh, a lot of times we get real scared about, about the Battle of Armageddon, all these kinds of things, again, symbolic imagery and all this. But what John is trying to say here, the way all of these uh, enemies of God end up in the field of Armageddon is by these frogs that come from the mouths of the dragon and the two beasts. In essence... All of the rebellious kings and nations of the world are gathered together for judgment of God by the very powers and authorities that, that called them to allegiance to themselves in the first place. Again, if you go into captivity, into captivity and you, you go. That's where it all leads, finally. Ultimately, it's the destructive nature of evil that does these powers in, even as they receive what they've chosen to sow in the earth. And then Babylon falls and this final judgment comes and God issues an invitation into the rubble to his people. He says in chapter 18, verses four and five, come out of her, my people. 
Lest you take part in her sins, lest you share in her plagues, for her sins are heaped high as heaven, and God has remembered her iniquities. You can imagine how a word like that would have sounded to Christians in John's day undergoing persecution and crying out to God for justice. And as she falls, the people who had fallen in with her and given their allegiance to these beasts and dragon are heartbroken. They mourn and they weep. All the good things that they had experienced in that time in the kingdoms of the world have been judged and gone. And it's over for this anti-God kingdom. And yet, while there's weeping and mourning for the people who had put their lots in with the kingdoms of the world, in the heavens there is rejoicing in heaven. Now, I know, guys, that's a lot of images. I didn't even get to the whore and the, who rides on the beast. Like, like, it's just more of the same kind of stuff again, though. But all these are meant to get us to wrestle with an all-important question. All these chapters, in fact, the whole book of Revelation, really, is meant to get us to wrestle at the deepest levels of our being with an all-important question. Who do you belong to? In what kingdom is your allegiance? Who do you pledge your allegiance to? Who do you belong to? You have a choice. We all do. We make it in a million ways every day how we live that out. There is, on the one hand, the kingdom of the creator God, in whom there is life and love and beauty and freedom. In this kingdom, you are loved beyond measure. <coughs> you are extended grace and mercy. You are promised life everlasting. All of this is possible in this kingdom because of the selfless, sacrificial love of Jesus who gave his life for you and me on the cross to defeat the serpent. You can choose this because of him. But you can also choose the anti-God kingdom. And in that kingdom, this fraudulent, rebellious dying and desperate kingdom of the enemy of your soul. Satan, he'll make it look shiny. I mean, nobody would go after beasts with seven heads that had been wounded and healed and dragons and horns and nobody would go after those things in our right minds. And so, so the dragon disguises it and it looks shiny and it looks like really wonderful things and it looks like prosperity and it looks like power and it looks like security and it looks like all those things that somewhere in our being, we, we wanna have those things but it's a fraud in the kingdoms of the world. Satan makes it look shiny and tempting. The empires of this world can look incredibly strong and the draw for us to look like and to do business with and enjoy the benefits of the empire can be overwhelming at times, but we have to remember that they come with a great cost. Sometimes to our very life, and our identity as the people of God itself. These are our choices on a daily basis we get to choose, which kingdom we will belong to. This is the choice that humans in every age must wrestle with. Which kingdom am I going to live in and pledge my allegiance to? 
On the surface, it seems like a no-brainer, but it's the daily living out and the application of this choice where the challenge comes in. Because you and I and every human being who has ever lived in anything like a powerful nation since the days of John are subjected continuously to the propaganda machine of the empire. I don't mean to sound like a conspiracy theorist or you know somebody on the internet like speaking wacky stuff, but listen, this is the reality. We're gonna come out of this place today where the Lord is surrounding us and calls us together and reminds us of the truth of his love for us and his call in our lives and we're gonna go out of this place and we will be inundated with messages from the country we live in, from the mall down the street, from the stump speeches of the political candidates, from the military parades, from the marketing, from the advertising, from Twitter. I mean, some of us get really tempted by hashtags, you know, like, like on a daily moment by moment basis, the beasts of the world are trying to prop themselves up as the real thing and it gets tempting sometimes to give our lives over to them. We're continually inundated with these messages and it's like a gravitational pull to fall in line in order to experience a smoother walk through life. I get it. It's easier to be in the majority. It's easier to do what everybody else is doing when we fall in line in the ways of the world, it's easier to not stand out. But John is saying, this is a call for faithfulness, even if it makes you stand out. This is the call. So the challenge is to remember the fight that we're in, to recognize that when the empires, uh, the ways and values and means don't line up with the ways of the Lamb, and sometimes are even directly opposed to it, that in those places, we have to make a choice. And I want to call you today to choose the way of Jesus. In every step, in every moment, I want to call you to the faithful, patient endurance of the people of God. We're going to actually do something today as a response to help you with that. Uh, we're going to do something like, uh, it's going to look like uh, we do communion where we're going to have two stations up here. And at each station, uh, one person will have a jar of anointing oil and another person will have a stamp. I didn't get a tattoo this week. This is a stamp. Um, and uh, what we want to say is, we want to give you an opportunity to say, I'm marked by God. I belong to him. my life belongs to him, my allegiance is his, there is no other name for me, Christ is enough, that's it, that's where it is, and I'm not going to get tempted, and I'm not going to go off and worship any of these pagan empires, or the forces, or the dragon, or any of that stuff, I don't belong to them, I belong to the Lord of heaven and earth, and so what we're going to do with these, the oil is we'll make a sign of the cross on your forehead, for your thoughts, and your inner life, and your spirit, and me, and, and, um, Gene will speak this word over you from 1 Thessalonians 5. May the God of peace sanctify you, set you apart to himself, make you holy through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless until the coming of our Lord Jesus. Right? And then the person with a stamp next to us will put a stamp on your hand 
as a sign for your actions and they will say, and the God who called you is faithful and he will do it, all right? Now, you don't have to receive this mark. Uh, Nobody's gonna look at you funny if you stay sitting down. It's totally okay if you are still exploring. I get that, that's fine, but listen, let me give you an invitation. The Babylons ultimately fall and you don't wanna be in one. Belong to the Lord. That's where everlasting life is. So would you stand? Uh, We're gonna sing, we're gonna come. If you're uh, doing the oil or the stamp, come on forward. One last thing I wanna say about the stamp is uh, it's really messy. So if you wanna grab a Kleenex and don't smear it, but blot it after you get it, then it will last longer. Okay, there you go. Come on when you're ready.